Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Over the coming months, we as a church are going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed together, an ancient summary of the Christian faith that has traveled through thousands of years and functioned as an anchor of truth in a constantly shifting world. The Creed presents truth claims that can be explored, that provoke questions, that come directly from scripture and that are owned by a community. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Oasis. Our reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 58. And I'm going to be reading those verses in two different translations. First, the Christian Standard Bible, and then the message. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. But let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the same will come true. Death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Father, thank you that you have spoken to us already this morning. Keep speaking now. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, what are you looking forward to right now? Is there anything on the horizon that you're hoping for, waiting for, anticipating? 
maybe a summer holiday, perhaps finishing school exams, maybe going off to university, uh, maybe you're looking forward to the next payday, maybe the end of the football season for some, um, Christmas, I know some people really do hope that it'll be Christmas every day, maybe you're just looking forward to lunch. Um, as human beings, we have a tendency always to be um, looking towards some kind of future hope, something to set our sights on, to anticipate, something around the corner. And actually, that's a sign of health. It's a, it's a good thing to have a sense of optimism about the future, good for our mental health. And my psychologist tells me that I need to plan annual leave approximately at six-week intervals. He says that's good for me, something to aim for, something to look forward to. The question is, what is the future hope for the Christian? As followers of Jesus, what have we to look forward to? That's an important question. In fact, it's so important that it made its way into the central confession of faith right at the earliest days of Christianity. It's there in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. What you believe about your future matters. It influences how you'll live in the present. I remember in my younger days singing an old hymn, and the words of the chorus of the hymn went like this. I'll fly away, O glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And then one of the verses says, when the shadows of this life has gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. Okay, and it's, it, it's a beastly tune, actually. It's a really good tune. But the words, the words give this, they create this idea of escape. Escape from this world and perhaps even escape from this body or bodily existence at all. Like a bird, fly away into some spiritual realm in the sky. Away from all this earthiness. But, but that is not the hope spoken of in the Apostles' Creed because that's not the hope set out in the Bible. It was wonderful to see Catherine read out from the Bible. Catherine normally joins us online, and it's great to have seen her read to us. And she read from 1 Corinthians 15. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to take that out because we're going to look at that very long passage, and we're going to pick up different parts of it. And maybe in your small groups this week, you might want to read through it all. A lot to take in. But at the heart of it is the presentation of the future hope of the Christian. A hope summarized by the line in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Whose body? Yours. And mine. And the body of the church that belongs to Jesus. That's what we're going to explore this morning. And I want to do so under three headings. The necessity of bodily resurrection. The mystery of and the implications. Necessity, mystery, implications. Firstly, the necessity. Paul's letter to the Corinthian church is one of the most raw and passionate letters of the New Testament. Okay, And chapter 15 is the longest section of that letter. And it's all about the foundations of Christian faith and the shape of Christian hope. And what Paul points out is that your future is physical. Your future hope is an embodied hope because Christ has risen from the dead and therefore the future is bodily resurrection. And Paul sees it as vital that the believers in Corinth get this because you see, just like in our day, there were many different philosophies and faiths and worldviews 
that were influencing ancient Greece and the people of Corinth. And one of them that was quite prominent was the thought system known as Gnosticism. Gnostics taught that the true human being was not a body, but a spirit. So when you think of someone, say for example, Mike Blaber, you may well immediately picture a tall, muscular frame <laughs> with a slightly big nose and questionable balance. But according to the Gnostics, that's not the true Mike Blaber at all. Spoiler alert, they were wrong. Those things are true about me. <laughs> but according to them, the real me is a non-physical spiritual being. No smells, no noises, no matter. To them, it's the soul that really counts, and the soul has no relation to the body. And so Gnostics were interested in spiritual experiences and spiritual beings and a spiritual future. Matter bad, spirit good. Okay? And the impact of this philosophy creeping into the church in Corinth was the idea that it really doesn't matter what you do with your body. Sex, food, drink, it just doesn't matter, all that stuff. And, so, and some even denied the resurrection of the body. They just thought one day you'll just fly away. And that idea persists today in various forms. Several faith systems teach that the ultimate goal in life is to escape from the cycle of pleasure and pain that comes with physical existence and instead to be swept up into a spiritual realm with no physical identity at all. So the Eastern religions with concepts like Nirvana particularly emphasize this, and those philosophies have grown in popularity in the West too. But closer to home, a common caricature of the Christian belief in life after death is the idea of floating onto the clouds and playing some harps and eating Philadelphia. <laughs> but that's not what the Bible teaches. No, the Bible says that the future is very much physical. In fact, Christianity may just be the most body-affirming of all worldviews. But in a very different way to that in which Western society is body-affirming. You see, popular culture constantly presents to us the kind of human body that we should aspire to have. The right size, the right shape, the right tone, the right abilities, the right self-expression. And these bodies pop up on our smartphones and TV programs and billboards. Uh, meanwhile, bodies affected by the kind of things that come to us all, like illness and age and imperfection, are mostly hidden away and covered up. And this can lead to a profound sense of discomfort in our own body. Subconsciously, we're always taking in the idea of the kind of body that's desirable and praiseworthy, creating anxiety around the idea, what about my body? If I don't look like that, am I okay? A YouGov poll in 2020 found that nearly half of people in the UK do not like their body. Nearly half. But in 2011, the American Journal of Medical Genetics published a study that analyzed the self-perception of another population of human beings. They interviewed a sample of 284 individuals from this population 
and they use validated surveys about happiness and body image and self-perception. Amazingly, what they found was that amongst this population, 99% were happy with their lives, 97% liked who they are, 96% liked the way they look. Amazing, 96% compared to 54% in the UK. Who are these happy people? Where do they live? Can I go there? Actually, the sample population for this study were all people with Down syndrome. People like my brother Joel, a photo of whom is going to come on the screen now, my brother Joel with two of my daughters. People with Down syndrome do not have the kind of body that's typically celebrated on billboards or in social media. I believe in the resurrection of Joel's body, glorified as it will be because the Bible gives me reason for such hope. So there have always been strong views about the human body, just as in Corinth 2,000 years ago, so too now. But the Bible is truly body-affirming. Okay, and that's what Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15, but it's throughout the whole sweep of the Bible. You see, in the beginning, God created us with physical bodies, with matter. And he created us male and female, and he declared... It is very good. Not disgusting, not embarrassing, very good. And then in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, as if a loud echo of that very good statement, God the Son took on human flesh inside the womb of a human being, Mary. And Christ was born. God in a body. The creed states, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. God incarnate, touching, feasting, speaking, hearing, God with us. And the encore to the very good proclamation of Genesis came again the third day after Jesus' crucifixion. Paul tells the Corinthians at the beginning of chapter 15 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scripture. He rose, he was seen, he was touched, he was fed, he was spoken to by many witnesses. And so God has taken our human frame to his very self in the incarnation, in the resurrection, and in the ascension which has been celebrated this week, so that forever God says over our humanity, over our physical embodied humanity, it is very good. Future hope for the Christian is not spiritual escape, but a new creation. Material, tangible, bodily. That's what Jesus has secured. And so the ancient church father of the second century, Irenaeus, puts it like this, he says of Christ, he became what we are, that we may become what he is. Amazing. But there's a mystery here, a complete mystery. In the passage that Catherine read out earlier, Paul even states it as such. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. And he goes on to speak of how in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised and the corruptible body will be clothed with incorruptibility, this mortal body with immortality. 
Our bodies will be transformed when Christ comes again, transformed so as to be fit for the new creation, able to participate fully in the joy of life lived in the unfiltered presence of God. See, throughout the Bible, men and women are told that they can only take so much of the glory of God and live. Our current physicality cannot cope with seeing the Lord as he is. When, when it happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, he, he was blinded. But the Bible says that in the new creation, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. God dwelling amongst us, heaven and earth coming together, new creation, and we will have bodies fit for participation in that joy. And in Paul's thinking, our blueprint for getting some sort of an idea about this is Christ himself. In Colossians 1, chapter, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says of Christ, he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. And so Jesus' resurrection has begun something. It's begun something that cannot now be stopped. Christ is the beginning, the first fruits of a grand harvest of resurrection because God will redeem his creation, including our bodies. But there is so much mystery around the risen body of Jesus. Have you noticed that in the Bible? The resurrection of Jesus is not a metaphor for new beginnings. Jesus' resurrection was an event in time and space that happened just outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And that is precisely why the accounts of Jesus' resurrection are so strange in the Bible. The eyewitnesses are trying to make sense of what they witnessed. On several occasions after Jesus' resurrection, his followers do not initially recognize him. They're captivated, they're drawn to him, but they don't immediately know it's Jesus. After all, this was their first and unexpected encounter with a human body who'd gone through death and out the other side, clothed in immortality, out of the reaches of death altogether, glorious, mysterious. What to make of it? And yet in each account, Jesus becomes recognizable to his followers by the familiarity of his voice, his wounds, the way he breaks bed, the catch of fish. There's continuity with the body that was buried and yet at the same time, transformation. Same but totally different. Christ's body has not been merely resuscitated, resurrected. He stands as the firstborn from the dead, risen, immortal, incorruptible. The life of the Spirit of God completely saturating a human body. And yet with that resurrection body, he does familiar things with his friends like chatting on a cross-country walk having a barbecue at the beach, yeah? strolling in the garden. That's a clue to the shape of the future, our future hope. Earthly life elevated with heaven's joy. And we'll have a body fit for it. Same, but totally different. Now, earlier on in the passage, Paul uses the analogy of seeds and plants. You know, little tiny seeds don't look like they're going to be much, and then whew, produce this massive plant that you'd never guess that an oak tree was produced by an acorn. But it is. Same, but totally different. And this hints at the mystery of the Christian hope. Our present bodies cannot sustain everlasting life. We must be transformed. If Christ comes again, we may not die. Paul, Paul hints at that in the passage. Always expect Christ will return. But for most of us, we will die. 
And then when he comes, we will be risen. As he is risen. Same physical me, but totally different. Without the fragility that characterizes our bodies now. Mine, yours, my brother Joel's. But how will this happen? We're told in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, Christ will return and we will be changed. And the Apostle John speaks about this hope in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Even now, Oasis Church, we are children of God, but what we will be. Even now, we're joined to Jesus by simple trust and in baptism. But the time is coming when we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The risen king, beautiful beyond description. He become what became as we are, so that we may become as he is. Is there beauty in Christ? It is yours. Is there peace in Christ? It is yours. Is there life in Christ? It is yours. Is there joy and pleasure and security and glory in Christ? It's all yours. For he is yours and you are his. He's the firstborn from the dead. And we shall be like him. It's a great mystery. C.S. Lewis wrote a famous essay called The Weight of Glory in which he imagined this future hope and, and plumbed the depths of some of its mystery. And in it, he appeals to the desires and the appetites that we have as human beings, very physical in their nature. You see, we all want to experience with our senses beauty and pleasure and joy and love and belonging. These things that we might call glory, we all want to experience it. So we go looking for those things in all sorts of places. Sometimes we go to mere counterfeits and we end up sorely disappointed and more broken as a result. Other times we taste it in things which are genuinely good, but they do not last. And so we enjoy an afternoon with friends and we say things like, I wish I could just bottle up this feeling and keep it forever. But we can't. Or we see a beautiful sunset and we're like, I wish I could just frame this moment and take it with me. But we can't. Or we see a really cute baby and we say, I could just munch it. (laughs) But you can't. Okay? And in these ways, we express our desire not just to know beauty and love and joy, but to be joined to it. But Lewis suggests that being joined to the glory we desire is, in fact, where we're headed. Let me read to you a section from his essay. It says this The poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a human soul, but it can't. They tell us that beauty born of murmuring sound will pass into a human face, but it won't. Or not yet. For if we take the imagery of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and modern poetry, so false as history, may be very near the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door, We discern the freshness and the purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. Christ 
will come again. And things, all things will be made new and we shall see him and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And death then will be swallowed up in victory. Our future is glory. Our future is physical. Our future is Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of the body. That's what we're saying when we say that. To finish then, what are the implications? How does this affect the way we live now? Firstly, five quick things. Firstly, what we do with our body matters. Your body is a gift. It is given for the worship of the Lord who gave it to you. So in all that we do with our bodies, whether work or rest or play, simply ask yourself, can this activity be offered up as worship? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. And this for me has been a challenge involving repentance and obedience and again and again. Secondly, our future hope of bodily resurrection is good news if you feel uncomfortable in your body right now. Some of us do. For some of us, our body is painful. For some of us, our body has been mistreated. And for some of us, our body doesn't feel like the right fit. And it won't always be this way. If you hate your body, God gently but persistently begs to differ. And one day, his work of grace and healing will be so complete that all the tension of being in your body will be no more. One day, it will feel like the perfect fit. Your wounds will be healed. Your pain will cease. You will feel so alive in your skin. So beloved, don't despair. Don't hate yourself. God knows you and God loves you. He has a great future for you. Thirdly, as the book of Ecclesiastes puts it, there is a time to be born and a time to die. We need not resist this anymore. For death does not have the final word, Jesus does. Death will be swallowed up in victory because Jesus is risen. And this is both confidence and comfort. Confidence as we approach our own death, comfort when we are bereaved. Because grief still really hurts. But the hurt is not eternal. God's word is. And therefore life is. And so we can say with confidence, resurrection and reunion is round the corner. And we can look forward to that. And that's okay. Fourthly, fear of the future can be silenced. Paul sets out that the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God. Christ has done away with our sin at the cross and has fulfilled the law in his obedience. So we have nothing to fear. Look to him. Trust him. Be at peace. And lastly, the implications of belief in the resurrection of the body is motivation for our work on earth here and now. Okay? At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, 
Paul essentially says, in light of all this good news about the future, keep working in the present. Because nothing is wasted. All our material work here and now, done for the good of others, will find its way into new creation. Whether you're a high-flying businesswoman or a stay-at-home parent. Whether you're a shopkeeper, a doctor, a designer, a gardener, a teacher, a missionary, or a retired neighbor. Any material work given to you by God through which you may bless others contains great dignity and eternal value. Keep going. Christ is with you, and your future is with him. This is good news. Okay. Can we stand? We're going to finish in prayer. We have touched on lots of different things. I'm imagining there will be different ones in the room who, who just might want someone to stand with them and to pray. And that might be someone who's stood next to you because you know who they are. But it might be that you need to um, have someone to pray with you and you're not quite sure who the right person is. Why don't you come down to the front afterwards? We're, well, we'll, we'll say to everyone, go and get your kids if you want to, go and get a coffee. But you can come down to the front because we'll be here and we'll pray with you, okay? Pray that you know this hope, this future hope. Let me pray for us all now as we close. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You have given us the very best thing in giving us your son, Jesus. And Jesus, you have taken us to yourself in the incarnation, in the resurrection, in the ascension. Lord, thank you. That is eternal hope for a glorious future that we can hold on to. And yet, Lord, even now, in the physicality of our present existence, life is sometimes hard. It sometimes just doesn't feel right, or it sometimes hurts. And you know, and you love us, and you're committed to us right to the very utmost. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now, and would you strengthen hearts? Would you come, and would you strengthen bodies? We thank you that you are God who also heals. And that healing, when it comes, is like a, a signpost of what's to come. It's not the destination, it's a signpost. But we pray, God, would you do it? God, would you move amongst people even in this room now? And I pray also in Jesus' name for comfort for those who are mourning and grieving. I pray for confidence for those who are approaching the end of their life. I pray for a deep sense of being known and loved for those who just don't feel comfortable in their own skin. And we pray, keep our eyes on you, Jesus, knowing that one day we will see you as you are and be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. What a hope. Sustain us in that hope, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.